Lord, this is a time when we look out our window at a world that shows how much it needs you. This is a broken world that we live in. So, Lord, we invite you again to do a work of healing worldwide. Touch this world. And, Lord, as we wait, we invite you to touch this world through us. We say to you, Lord, here we are. Send us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Good morning, beloved Covenant family. I sure miss seeing you all. It's so good for us to be able to be, able to be together this morning. Kiddos, it's great to see you. I miss you so much. I can't wait till the time when we get to get back to high fives and hugs and, and being able to enjoy your company. It's great to see you. Students, how's it going? Hang in there with school, almost done. I know this is a challenging time. We also just want to be able to say, I want to be able to say again, welcome to our online family that really stretches literally around the globe. I'm so glad you could be with us this morning, or really that we get to be with you this morning. You've invited us into your home, and we are so grateful for that invitation. Well, this morning, I want to talk to us about doorknobs. Kids, right now, can you look around your room and see a door that's got a doorknob on it? Can you do that and point to it? Pretty much every door there is has a door on it. So here's something, kids, I'd love to have you do maybe during the message this morning, if you've got something out to draw with. Draw a picture of your house, the front of your house, that shows your door, your front door, with a doorknob on it. And I'd love it if you sent that to me. I'd love to see those. So we all know what a doorknob is for, unless you happen to be my brother, who was incredibly inventive. Uh, when he was a teenager, he took a guitar string and he tied it, uh, one end of it, to a doorknob, and he fastened the other end to the latch of the door, and then he stretched it out. I don't know what you would call this, a, a clausimer, a clausolin, I don't know. But he would, he would move the door in and out and pluck the string as he did it. It made the weirdest sound I've ever heard. So if you're my brother, that's what you do with a doorknob. But the rest of us, what we do with a doorknob, you know, you grab onto it and you pull it towards you and you close the door with it. And we've been doing a lot of that lately, haven't we? Because of the coronavirus cloud that is kind of hanging over our heads. Between the fear of contracting the disease and then all of the regulations and, and the wisdom that's coming from the medical community for us to practice social distancing, we find ourselves in this place where all of that together is kind of conspiring to form in us kind of a posture of retreat when we encounter one another. We're all seeking to be obedient to the, the social distancer's favorite Bible passage, which is Luke chapter 10, verse 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, and so too a Levite, when he came to the place, he also passed by on the other side. I was walking to it's not exactly what that's about. But I was walking to church uh, the, uh, earlier this week, and I um, came to the Soldier's Home Bridge at this, uh, on one end of the bridge at the same time that somebody else came to the 
end of the other, the other end of the bridge walking towards me. And so immediately I start thinking, so how am I going to steer around this person? What, how, what's the best way to maneuver this? And I was walking towards her and then suddenly she looked up and saw me and she literally looked both directions and ran across the street so we wouldn't have to pass near each other. I guess it's a good thing she didn't go the other direction and jump off the bridge. So as a result of all of this, I think we find ourselves with this basic posture of retreating from one another. You know, I was remembering when all of this started you know, a month and a half ago, there was this sense of we're all in this, to, in this together. It was kind of a lighthearted camaraderie, the elbow bumping thing, all kind of laughing about the awkwardness of doing this social distance thing. And now six, six weeks into it, we just got into this place where we see each other as things to avoid. No greetings, no eye contact. Have you noticed that recently? Unless, of course, we are jockeying to access the, the same refrigerator door in the same dairy section at the grocery store as somebody else at the same time, and we get the corona look, you know, kind of over the top of the mask, that kind of glare that says, hey, dude, you are in my space. It certainly doesn't help when everybody looks like bank robbers because they're wearing these masks. So this corona cloud is causing all of us just to pull back from each other. And when we do run into each other, we're thinking about the path away from each other, not towards each other. So we begin to see each other like, like a, a ship that is potentially kind of infected with this cloud of pestilence that's coming towards us that we've got to navigate around and take evasive maneuvers like these. The movement is away from and into. We are all pulling back from each other and trying to steer around each other. So we are retreating into our homes and grabbing our doorknobs and pulling our doors shut behind us. Everything in the past six weeks has reinforced that simple action. Grab the doorknob and pull. So how might God want to speak to us as his people in the middle of this really strange time? Well, you remember that there are three invitations that we felt that God was putting in front of us as the people of covenant during this corona season. To stay, do you remember? Anchored to God, right? To stay connected to God's people and to stay faithful to God's call, which is to live a life of love during these days. 
Up to this point, we've been focusing on the first two of those. Last Sunday, you may remember that Brentley introduced us to what Brian Henderson calls the encouragement salad. I love it, cuz, nice. All of the let us passages in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to our faith. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, but instead let us encourage each other. And all of those let us passages have to do with either staying anchored to God or staying connected to God's people. But there's one other dimension to this. So when I was uh, in college, a friend of mine, Carol Presley, yes, related to Elvis, actually, uh, she invited me over to dinner at her apartment. And when I got to her apartment, she asked if I would toss the salad. And I said, sure. And I threw it up in the air. But I'm not dumb. I mean, I know if you just throw it straight up like this, all the lettuce is going to fall out, not some of it at least, and land on the counter. So I had this all figured out. So what I did is I threw it up in the air and I spun it. You know, all the centrifugal force is going to smash all the lettuce to the side of the bowl, right? And it's all going to stay in there. It's going to land in my hands. Ta-da. Didn't work that way. The sides of the bowls were sloped. And so we literally, I (laughs) literally launched lettuce all over her apartment. I recommend that neither as a way to toss salad nor as a way to impress a date. Well, it looks like the author of the book of Hebrews may have arranged his book in somewhat of a similar way. Uh, He, uh, there's one other let us passage that we find three chapters over in the book of Hebrews, and that is in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. So the author of the book of Hebrews is talking about how, at this point, as we come into this passage, he's talking about how the sacrifice of Jesus reflects, but it also exceeds the entire Jewish sacrificial system. In one single act, Jesus secures the forgiveness of every single person who will put his or her faith and trust in him. And he also begins the process of forming his likeness in them, of making them holy. And he does all of that in a really unexpected way. In this passage that we're about to read, the author makes a really interesting connection between the way that sacrifices were offered on the Day of Atonement, which is described in Leviticus chapter 16 in the Old Testament, and the way that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, which you can read about at the end of any of the Gospels in the New Testament. So Hebrews chapter 13, let us head there. Sorry, that was for you, Brian. And Joe, Ely, I have to say, I really miss your chortles when I say my puns. (laughs) Thank you. At least I got one from someone here. All right, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside of the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Picking up in verse 13, let us then go to him, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. 
For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. There is so much going on here. I, this is, uh, I find this one of the most intriguing passages in the New Testament. But I just want to focus on, zero in on just one particular dimension of this. And that is this whole idea of outside the camp. In biblical times, there was a really stark divide between inside the camp and outside the camp. Inside the camp is where you live in safety with those who are like you. Outside the camp was where the enemies camped. It's where foreigners lived. It's where people with infectious diseases were sent. It was where animal carcasses were dragged. It was where trash was thrown. It was where people relieved themselves. It's where sewers from the, the city emptied out. It's where criminals were executed. And it's where bodies were buried. In fact, if you went outside of the camp, before you came back inside the camp or later inside the city, you actually got, had to go through a whole ceremonial cleansing process where you had to use soap and wash your hands for 20 seconds while you quoted the, the Lord's Prayer. No, actually, that's not in the Hebrew. But you had to go through this cleansing process before you could come into the city. So the classic example of the place outside the city was Gehenna which is a trash and animal carcass-filled valley right outside the city of Jerusalem that was so horrendous and it stunk so badly that Jesus actually uses it four different times as a metaphor for hell. So for all of these reasons, it was really easy for the people of God to think in terms of in is familiar, out is foreign, in is safe, out is unsafe. And in is where God is, and out is where God isn't. So even though God tells us as, as his people that we are blessed to be a blessing, even though he tells us when we are in exile that we are to seek the peace of the entire city that we live in, it became more and more tempting for the Jewish believers and then for the Christian believers who came after them to retreat, to reflexively, reflexively separate themselves away from the rest of the world, to retreat from everything that was threatening and everything that was unfamiliar in the world, to go inside, to grab the doorknob, and to pull the door closed behind them. And then along comes Jesus, who, as we're told in verse 12, suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy. The whole pattern of his life was turned outside, not in toward himself, but out toward the world, out toward the outsider. Think of the people that he hung out with, that he valued and validated by the attention and the presence, the hospitality, the time he spent with them, not only women and children who were considered kind of low status in first century culture, but tax collectors and foreigners, the Roman oppressors, lepers, prostitutes, all outsiders. And so much was it the case that Jesus hung out with them that all of the insiders began to talk about Jesus as an outsider who hung out with outsiders. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, well, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of those tax collectors and sinners. So in a world where the primary pull was the centripetal force of fear and self-protection, drawing people in towards self and away from others. The primary force that drove Jesus was the centrifugal force of love, which threw him out from himself and out toward others. And we are called, as his people, to join him outside. Hebrews 13, 13, let us then go outside the camp to him. So during these corona days, staying anchored to God and staying connected to the people of God, while it's challenging, has still proven to be somewhat manageable, hasn't it? But staying faithful to our call to love the people that God has put around us feels almost impossible. Oh, oh I beg your pardon. Oh, it's quite all right, but you did give me quite a turn. You see, I was following... It's rather good, what? Doorknob turn? Please, sir. <laughs> well, one good turn deserves another. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit, so, um, if you don't mind... Eh? Oh! There he is! I simply must get through! Sorry, you're much too big. Simply impassable. You mean impossible? No, impassable. <laughs> Nothing's impossible. In this strange season, that doorknob on our front door does seem pretty impassable. But it isn't. And finding a way to reach out in love to our neighbor, that seems pretty impossible. But that isn't impossible either. You know the rest of the social distancing passage. Luke chapter 10, verses 31 to 34. The priest veers around one way, practicing social distancing. The Levite veers around the other way, practicing safe social distancing. And then we're told a Samaritan who was used to being separated away from people and people walking around him, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he crossed over from the distance he was accustomed to giving to the Jewish people. He crossed over, it says, and he came to him. Now, don't hear uh, what I'm not saying here, as Travis likes to say. I'm not saying we should abandon practicing social distancing. That's not what I'm saying at all. The medical community knows what they're talking about, and it's wise for us to follow their advice. The challenge is how to cross the street towards each other emotionally while we are forced to cross the street away from each other physically. So how do we move toward each other while we're steering around each other? I have thought that the terminology of social distancing may not have been the best choice. I mean, before the virus hit, think about this. If, if uh, somebody was moving in as my next door neighbor and somebody else who knew them said, well, this person is rather socially distant, I, mean, I wouldn't be very excited about trying to get to know that person. It kind of implies a standoffishness. So I've been thinking all along that we should be talking about practicing physical proximity and social propinquity. 
Isn't propinquity a great word? I love that word. Doesn't it just kind of roll off your tongue, physical proximity, social propinquity? I don't know why that hasn't caught on. Well, the, the temptation that we so easily fall into is when we pull back physically, we do the same thing emotionally and relationally. But that's exactly the opposite of what we are called to as followers of Christ. Even when we are required to pull in physically, we are called to lean out relationally, to notice, to connect, to engage, to love. Love turns our gaze away from ourselves and out toward others. Matthew chapter 18, verses 34 to 39, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So here's a picture that I took of my neighborhood a few weeks ago. I took it standing on my own driveway, looking at a gorgeous sunset that came right after the rain. And I, I feel like this kind of looks like a picture of my street as God sees it, freshly washed and with the glow of his radiant presence in the middle of it. From in this picture, you can almost see every one of the 19 houses on our cul-de-sac. And I put this picture at the top of the, the social or the, the neighborhood directory that I pulled together and handed out to the neighbors during the first couple weeks of our having to shelter in place. And I put together this directory really for two reasons. One was because I wanted just to try to help form connection and try to get neighbors to be thinking about each other and, and figure out how to support each other instead of all feeling so isolated. But the real motivating factor behind my pulling together this directory is I just wanted to, to grow in my own connection to my neighbors. And it really has worked. I mean, you know that I really struggle with names, but I can, now I can walk from one end of my street to the other end of my street, and I know the name of every single one of my neighbors, and I've spoken with almost all of them during this season. It's really been a huge help for me. And now I walk up and down the street and pray for them, sometimes when I'm lying in bed at night, or sometimes when I'm driving across town, and sometimes literally physically walking up and down the street. So more and more, I've been wondering if God isn't calling us, especially during this corona season, when we're having to spend more time at home and to, foc um, and to focus on our immediate surroundings, I wonder if God isn't calling us to focus on our literal neighbors, the people who, who live to our right and to our left and across the street, our Ryan and Aprils and our Gordon and Harriets and our George and Chris's. I mean, obviously the people that we run into kind of out there in grocery stores and post office and the drugstore and so on, I think it's so important during the season to be connecting with them. And I've really been trying to be intentional to do that, to connect with Bobby and with Prentice and Jeff and Michelle and Amanda and Becky and Maria Magdalena at the grocery store, and Mike and Mike and Carmen at the post office, and Mike at the hardware store. I've really been working at trying to just connect with them and, and build relationships with them uh, as, as I'm able over the time. But I wonder if God may not be calling us to focus in on the people who are in the apartment or in the house right next to our own. Actually, to, to go to our front doors and to turn the doorknob and to pull our doors open. 
and to step out into our neighborhoods and to show them love. I think God is calling us to go out and what? What? When I'm wearing a bank robber's mask and a hazmat suit and I'm spraying Lysol on everything that moves and I have to stand 100 yards away from the person I'm interacting with, how in the world do I show love to a person like that? Well, look back at the Matthew verse. I think it gives us a really valuable clue. I mean, there's some people in our congregation who have been really creative in ways they've done this. I know one couple who... uh, because they were aware of a restaurant that was kind of struggling. They ordered 14 to-go meals from that restaurant to help them out, brought those back and put them in front of the, the units, uh, the, their neighbors around them, and they all got online together and ate a meal together. That was incredibly creative. I know a, another couple just last night that set up their grill and cook hot dogs for half the town of Brookston, a free meal that they gave away just to encourage each other. I think those are incredibly creative approaches. Well, what about the rest of us? What, don't I, what if I don't have the, that kind of creativity or those kind of resources? What about me? What in the world do I do? So um, there's a clue in Matthew chapter 18 that I think helps us. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. So let me just do a thought experiment with you. If you were you, and I think most of you are, then how would you like to be loved by someone else, by one of your neighbors. Take a moment and think about that. How would you like to be loved by someone else during this corona season? I was thinking about that, and here were some of the things I came up with. I would feel loved if my neighbor looked me in the eye, smiled, greeted me by name, and said hello, rather than steering around me averting their gaze as if I were the black pearl with clouds of pestilence coming into the neighborhood. I would feel loved if my neighbor stopped whatever they were doing and came over closer to me. If they expressed interest and concern. If they asked questions and then listened. Maybe if they remembered something that we had talked about together a few days before. I'd feel loved if I knew my neighbor was praying for me. I'd feel loved if they left a card from their kids on my front step. Or a a toy for my kids. Or flowers for my wife. Or a homemade something or other. I'd feel loved if my neighbor offered me some help. Maybe when I unloaded 22 bags of mulch yesterday from my car to have strolled out and just given a hand, helping me spread that out in a socially distanced, appropriate way. Or contacted me and said, hey, head into the grocery, head into the drugstore, anything that you need. Or maybe offered a hand with car troubles or something like that. I would feel loved if my neighbor dropped off cookies on my front step or even made a meal or some other thing. In fact, uh, my own next door neighbor, Uh, about a week ago, did what he called a ninja delivery uh, late in the evening of a a growler of homemade ale that he had just finished making and some home-smoked bacon he had just spent the whole night the night before uh, smoking. I think I get the better end of the deal when it comes to that neighbor relationship. Those are all things, when you think about it, that we can do while we're honoring social distancing. So what about you? How would you like your neighbor 
to love you. I think that could be a starting, good starting point for us to think about how we can love our neighbors. So here's an assignment for you. Three things I want to ask you to do. First of all, at lunch today, I want to encourage you around the table, or maybe if you're on your own, to be able to pick up the phone and have a conversation with someone. Share a way that you would love to be loved by a neighbor. And then second, I'd like you to draw a map of your neighborhood. And if you've got kids in your household, please draw them in on this. It's a great project to draw a map with each of the houses in your neighborhood. And uh, whether it's your street or your apartment complex, and see how many of the names of your neighbors you can fill in in those boxes. And then this afternoon, I want you to go to your front door and turn the doorknob and open your door and step out there. And I just want to encourage you to pray for your neighbors that during this strange season, God would be using this virus as a way of drawing neighbors closer to himself. To pray that God would give you an opportunity to connect with your neighbor, to find some opportunity to have a conversation with them, an interaction, to find a way to help. And then pray that God would show you how to show love to them in a practical and tangible way that would speak to them. After all these days of grabbing the doorknob and pulling the door closed behind us, leaving that plague-filled world behind, let's go to our doorknob and turn it and open it out and wade out into the world. The centripetal force of fear drives us in, but the centrifugal force of love propels us out. I really believe that this is one of the places where our witness as followers of Christ will make us stand out in compelling ways, even through small acts of love. When the whole world is retreating and we are going the opposite direction, when we are moving towards the world in love. George MacDonald in his sermon, Love Thy Neighbor, gives a wonderful graphic contrast between the smallness and staleness of a life that's turned in upon ourselves, retreating inward. And, and what it looks like to go in the opposite direction, the beauty and the sweetness of a life that's turned out towards others. This is what he says. The love of the neighbor is the only door out of the dungeon of self. Where we mope and we mow, striking our own small sparks and blowing our own breath into our own nostrils, instead of issuing out into the fair sunlight of God and breathing in, the sweet winds of the universe. Jesus went outside the camp. Actually, when you think about it, he was likely born outside the camp. He carried out most of his ministry outside the camp. He was executed and buried outside the camp. He rose from the dead outside the camp, and he ascended to heaven from outside the camp. By doing that, he claimed the entire outside world as his own. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a doorknob on your front door. How might that doorknob be God's invitation to you today? Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, through Christ, you have extended a welcome to us. 
we pray that you would use us to extend that same welcome to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.